Good morning, Chapel Street Church. How are you? Good, good. Hey, it's so great to be with you. I'm so glad you're here. A lot of new faces. If you could do one thing for me, we still have a lot of folks coming in. If there is room on the outside of your rows near the aisle, could you scooch, scooch in just a little bit for me just to help our guests find a seat? I know there's a lot of space over here, but we'd appreciate that. And thank you so much, guys, for being here celebrating. It's going to be a great morning. We have seven baptisms this morning, which is a lot. It's fantastic. Uh, so we'll get to all that in good time. But uh, what we always kind of do here at the outset, I want to remind us that as a church family, what our hope is here every Sunday morning is that this could be a place where you could experience the grace of God, you could grow in your faith, and you could be challenged to make an impact right where you are. That's what we say as a church all the time. It's right at the center of who we are. Uh, and so this morning, I do hope that when you come in here, you would know the hope and the grace of God for you, that he loves you, that he is glad you are in his house with his people this morning. Uh, and that you'd be challenged to grow in your faith. Uh, it is a really busy season. As you can imagine, we are just a few weeks away from December, which, if you're anything like me, feels like the whole year has gone way too fast this year. Uh, but I just want to make sure you guys are aware of some significant things coming up. Uh, the first is going to be that we're uh, holding child dedications on November 26th. This is something that we try to do regularly here at our church. What we believe uh, is that we want to we bring our kids before the Lord, pray for them, bless them, and so as a church family, when we dedicate children, we are just bringing them before our church family to do just that, to pray for them and ask God to bless them and the families as well. So if you're interested in getting your child dedicated, you can find out more information on that from our welcome desk or on our website. We'd love to chat with you a little bit more about that. Next thing that I want to make sure you're aware is at the start of December, we are hosting one of my favorite, favorite traditions here at Chapel Street North Aurora. We are having family movie night on December 1st. Uh, where we watch a movie called The Star. It's a great animated movie. We get kind of put blankets out on the floor, eat popcorn, have a really great time. Uh, so if you're looking for something to do at the start of the Christmas season to get in the spirit, we would love for you to join us here at the campus on December 1st. So uh, you can find out more information on that again at your, uh, the welcome desk on your bulletin, uh, or you can go to chapelstreet.church slash the star as well. One, one last thing I wanted to mention as well before we get going here is another tradition that we have at Chapel Street is to host a Christmas concert at our Kesslinger campus. So this year, that's going to be on December 9th and 10th. It is a huge production with a 70-voice choir and a full orchestra. It is always truly spectacular. I'm very impressed with what the team always puts together there. Uh, we've already sold out for our 4 p.m. show on Sunday, but there are tickets left for Saturday evening at 7 or Sunday evening at 6. Uh, you can get these tickets on our website, you can, or you can uh, use the QR code on your bulletin as well. Uh, but uh, I would encourage you, get your tickets while they're there. All the proceeds from these tickets go to uh, something called Serve the World, which is an initiative here at church to help support other missionaries and organizations around the world. It's only $5 and a fantastic night. You're not going to want to miss it, so make sure you grab those as soon as you can. Uh, the last thing that I want to say is today is a very special day, not just because of baptisms, but because we're going to have a connection lunch after church. So it's a really great day to show up at church and discover that there's free lunch afterwards, right? Am I right? So we would love for you all to stay with us, even if you are not a regular attender with us. We love you. You're our guest. We have food for you as well. Please make sure that you stick with us. Uh, that'll be immediately following the service. I'll give more details on it later. Uh, but just a great time for us as a church family to spend some time together celebrating what God's done uh, and uh, being united in faith together. 
Well, as we go into worship, I, I do want to recognize one group of people this morning. Uh, this weekend is Veterans Day weekend, uh, and I am keenly aware of the value and the importance of those of uh, us that have served in the military in various capacities, uh, the sacrifices that have been made. So if, if you are a veteran, would you mind standing for me so that we can recognize and honor you in this place this morning? We are truly grateful for you, truly grateful for all that you've done for us, for this country, uh, and the example that you set for all of us. So let me pray for us as we jump into worship now, and we're going to celebrate our great God together. Father God, we thank you for being in your house this morning. We bless you, we praise you, and God, we just pray that as we come to you today, as we see these stories of baptism, as we come to your word, God, we pray you'd speak to us in this place. God, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we'd see you and know you better. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, doesn't it just feel good to be in chats when all that's going on? That's wonderful. I noticed y'all were clapping, and you're like, are we allowed to clap? It's church. You can clap. It's great to celebrate these things. Don't worry about it. Hey, well, uh, it was particularly great to see the kids in here. I always get to see the, love seeing the kids in worship with us. Uh, and you know, I, I'm a, probably a little bit of a kid at heart myself. If you know me, you know that. I act far too much like a 12-year-old than I do a 36-year-old. But I, uh, I've been reflecting recently, on, and I've been thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up, Right? I certainly did not want to be a pastor. That was not an idea of mine. If you could think back when you were younger, what you wanted to be, I'm sure there's like a long list that a lot of us can kind of say we had one or the other on there. I remember I used to want to be an astronaut, right? Every young boy, when you discover about space, you think, yeah, I would love to do that. Then I discovered it's very dangerous and a lot of hard work to get there. So I said, oh, well, maybe that's not for me. Uh, I wanted to be a policeman and save the day, but British police officers are nowhere near as cool as American police officers, you know? And I gathered this from watching TV, because of course, TV is very accurate to real life. So I thought, well, I, you know, I, if I can't be an American police officer, maybe that's out. Uh, I remember I, I, uh, I wanted to be a scientist at one point, and it was, it was about the time in my life where we were doing uh, in science classes in school, like the Bunsen banners. You all have that in America, right? That's not just here, okay. And I liked playing with fire and chemicals and everything like that. I thought, oh, that's the life of a scientist. I'm interested in that. Turns out, again, there's a lot of hard work, not a lot of fun. So uh, I remember a conversation with my mom where I reached this point where I thought, well, is there a job that doesn't involve like any paperwork or anything like that? <laughs> and I think I'd settled at the time on being a garbage man because I thought, well, at least you won't have to sit in an office and do any paperwork. I, I don't even know if that's actually true, but... And then a couple of weeks ago, maybe if you were with us, you remember I was telling you that the, now the most sought after career for Generation Z, so people kind of born mid-90s to uh, late 2010, uh, do you know what the, the most sought after profession for that category is? Do you remember from a couple of weeks ago? An influencer, that's right, right? What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But it sounds very interesting. It usually involves kind of having a YouTube channel and making lots of videos about lots of different things. But we all, all of us have had a plan of some kind for ourselves, haven't we? We've all thought, okay, I want to be something, I want to use my life on something, I want to become something. 
And today we're talking about a passage in James that gets at this idea of what it means to make plans and, and think through plans and how we plan our lives. If you have been with us for any length of time, you know that this letter that we're studying as a church called James, it was written by uh, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, we should say, who was the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus had a lot of other brothers and sisters. We don't know all of their names, but we, we know that several of them are mentioned in the Gospels. James is one of them. And he was someone who, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he doubted his brother, didn't believe that he really was the son of God, didn't believe that he was who he said he was, and he actually criticized him openly. And yet we're told that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his brother James, and it changed his life forever. It was a day where James' plans for himself were completely undone, unraveled, remade. And so James is someone who knows a little something about what it means to plan and to have your plans remade and changed and all of those things. And most in particular, James cares very deeply that the church is a place where people's beliefs make it out into their actions. That's why we call this series Faith Works, because James, he wants to encourage the church to have a faith that works, meaning that it doesn't just stay hidden inside of our heads, but it's something that makes its way out into our hands, the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we think, the way that we act. And he wants us to think in particular about how we make plans, how we make plans if we are people who have God in mind, who have a faith that works. He wants us to think about how we plan, what we plan, why we plan, so that it will make a tangible difference in our life. So we're going to consider three questions this morning as we read James 4. We're going to think through these three questions. What is your life? What are you chasing? And where is your hope? Those three questions are going to frame for us what it means to be someone whose plans have been transformed by the message of Jesus, to become a person who plans like they have been transformed by the good news of Jesus. So let's talk about what it means when I say, what is your life? What is your life? This year, I started to change my diet a little bit because basically for the last 30 years, I've eaten like I was a child. I didn't just act like a child, I ate like one too. I actually was watching, uh, has anybody heard of Nate Bogatze, stand-up comedian? No, am I alone in this? You've got to discover him. He's fantastic. Someone just clap for Nate Bogatze. That's great. I love that in chat. Well, so Nate Bogatze was doing this um, stand-up routine. He was talking about him and his wife. And <laughs> Well, I should say unfortunately, my wife and I sound very similar to this guy and his wife. And he was talking about the way that he eats and how now that he's in his late 30s, he's kind of paying the price for how he ate, right? Now, when I was a, a young kid, uh, I, uh, I used to get called Skeletor because I was so thin and scrawny. My sister used to joke that it looked like I had two pieces of string coming out of my shorts instead of legs. Uh, but then I moved to America where things change, okay? You could, be, you could be Skeletor all you want, but you move to America, things are going to change for you. And, and in particular, I moved to Texas, which is like the capital of eating, Right? So things changed very dragly, and I ate like there was no consequences for me, right? I just ate whatever I want, however I want. Like I said, I ate like a, a young kid. Donuts for breakfast, donuts for dinner, right? And now I'm discovering at 36, I'm not quite as healthy as I hoped I would be at 36, right? There's been consequences for me. I couldn't have the perspective to understand that if I, if I indulged myself and lived a certain way on the front end, there was something that was going to happen on the back end, right? And now as a 36-year-old, I'm realizing I should have had better perspective about my life. I should have had a deeper understanding of what my life was. And in essence, that's why James is going to start his conversation. He's going to start around this idea of perspective, about us having a better perspective on our life, to start planning like someone who has seen our lives rightly. This is what he says in James 4, verse 13 and 14. 
He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, to answer this question of what is your life that James asks us, we need to renew our perspective. We have to start seeing ourselves in light of God. James tells the church, you're a mist. He says that their life is just like this. When it works, it's a mist. It's a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. This is actually a really common way that the Bible talks about life. You'll see it throughout from the Old Testament through the New. Several writers of the Bible will say, your life is a passing vapor. You show up in this world, you live a short lifespan, and then you're gone. It's there today, gone tomorrow. Now, why does the Bible make such a big deal out of this illustration? Why does it use this picture again and again? What is it about this that captures what God wants us to understand about our life? The first thing is he wants us to understand is that our life are temporary, right? We, sometimes we can live like we're eternal, but by acknowledging that we are a passing mist, well, the first thing that we're acknowledging about ourselves is that we are temporary. We are not going to live all that long, really. And in fact, if we mapped out all of human history with a long strand of string, and we put a little kind of permanent mark where your life takes up space in that long line, it wouldn't even be visible. In the grand scheme of all of human history, each life that is lived is just temporary, it's passing, it's a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. But the other thing that we learn from that is that our lives are fragile, right? A mist, there's, there's nothing concrete about that. It's fragile. When you think about all the details of your life, you can realize that there is so much in your life that you don't have control over. There's so much that you can't plan for, that you can't predict. And even when you do, there's so much that you can't control. That's what James wants us to understand about our life, to have the right perspective on our life. Let's think about 2020 as an example. How many of us would have made plans to invest in toilet paper and Zoom video conferencing had we known what was gonna happen in 2020? How many people's business plans, family plans, life plans were upended by one year that no one could have ever predicted? And even now, three years later, we're still really living out a lot of the consequences of that year, replanning, reshaping. People thinking about their homes and the housing market that's changed, thinking about their careers and how that has changed. It just goes to show us there is so much that we don't have control over. Human beings suffer from a perspective problem. We live as if we see what's best for our lives. This is something that King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. In the Old Testament, a short kind of exploration by this king of Israel who says, I'm gonna apply myself to everything that my heart desires. I'm gonna chase after everything that I want out of life. I've got enough money to do it. I have enough power to do it. So Solomon does what very few of us get to do, which is pursue anything that he wants. And this is one of the things he says in Ecclesiastes 6. He says, who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? His point is that how could people possibly know what's good for our lives when there is just so much that we don't know? There's so much that we don't understand. How could we as human beings have the perspective to say, I know what my life should be for. I know how to apply myself for that. I'm gonna chase after that. We need a new perspective. We need the kind of perspective that a psalmist has when he writes in Psalm 39.4, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. 
Let me know how fleeting I am. So let me ask you this question. Do you see yourself rightly? Do you understand your limitations? Do you see yourself in light of God? Some of you, I'm sure, have been made painfully aware of your limitations by unexpected illnesses, by sudden loss of a job, by the loss of someone you love. Moments in your life that undid you, that unraveled you, that changed everything for you. And in that moment, you became painfully aware of this reality that had been there all along, but until then, you had never seen that your life is fleeting, that your life is a vapor. Now, those things can cripple us and, and, and undo us unless our plans are built on something greater, something that isn't passing. We may be vapors, but that, what if there is something beyond us? What if there is something beyond us on which we could stand, on which we could build our lives that isn't passing, that doesn't change, that's concrete? Isn't that what really every human being needs? Something on which they can stand and say, this will never change, this will always be here, this will be a firm foundation for me. And that's where James wants to take us next. He wants us to think about our lives with this new perspective, this better idea, and then he wants us to build our plans around something that's certain and not fickle, something that's better than passing pleasures and uncertain hopes. And so we reach the second question. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? I, uh, I'm a, probably too much of a spender with my kids, and so I've kind of trained them now that whenever we go to Target or Walmart for some groceries, we will stop by the toy aisle and the kids will say, okay, you're gonna buy me this, Danny? You're gonna buy me this $200 Lego? I say, no, I ain't gonna buy you a $200 Lego. That's crazy. And I I've, I've, don't know how they've arrived at this conclusion, but I remember recently we were out and Jonathan says, yeah, but you've got tons of money. You can get that for me. <laughs> now, I don't know when he's been looking at my bank account, but I, there's something inside of Jonathan that thinks, you know what? I, I understand, I understand you and I understand your bank account. I understand your resources. I know what's best for me. Let me tell you how you should spend your money. Let me help you out here, Dad. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna instruct you on how to help me build a good life. Now, we laugh at that, and it's silly, a little bit sarcastic. How many of us talk to God the same way? How many of us look at the God of heaven and say, hey, we have something here. We have an understanding. We have a wisdom about ourselves, and we wanna tell you how you should direct our lives. Let us advise you, O oh God, on how our lives should be built, on, on how we should plan, on how you should spend your grace and your resources on us. James knows that that's dangerous. It's dangerous. This is what he says. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, isn't that interesting? He starts by saying, you guys who make these plans to go certain places, he doesn't say, stop planning, stop doing that. I don't want you to make plans. It's not good for you. Actually, he says, what you ought to say is if it's God's will, we will live and have these plans. So he's not saying to the church, don't plan. He's saying, yeah, I want you to plan, but I want you to plan rightly. I want you to think rightly about your life, and I want you to think rightly about what you're chasing. Plan with the right thing in mind. This is something, again, it's echoed throughout all of Scripture. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to a church in Ephesus, and he says this to them. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. James and Paul both have one thing in mind when they think about what we should chase and how we should plan, and it's the Lord's will, God's will. 
what God has made you for. Now, most people would say to that, well, great, I would love to know that. That would be wonderful if I could understand God's will for my life. It's just that I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. What does God want me to do? But the good news is the Bible is actually a lot plainer about God's will than sometimes we portray it to be. I think we actually, we fall into a number of errors when we think about this phrase, God's will, God's will for my life. The first one is we can fall into what we might call fatalism. We believe that God has, has, has figured out every single detail of our life that there's this very specific plan and really it's no use us planning or doing anything because God's will is gonna happen. Now there's some truth to that. God is sovereign over all things. He does direct all things, but there's, there's something missing in that when we say that we don't need to plan, we don't need to be wise, we don't need to be thoughtful. The other error that we can fall in is something that I might call secretism. And what we think is that God's will is this mysterious secret thing and that we might actually mess our lives up unless we're making all of the right decisions. So we think, well, I need to know the exact job that God wants for me. And if I don't make the right decision, I might mess up God's will for my life. I need to marry the right person or I need to live in the right place or I need to pursue the right things. And we get lost in this secretism of constantly trying to figure out the secret. What is God's will? What's the secret will of God? And I think that that's untrue as well. And the last thing that we can do is we can kind of get into this category, which we might be compelled to to look at when we read James's statement, which is that we use religious jargon to talk about God's will without actually really thinking about how we're going to use our life. We read that passage where he says, what you ought to do is say, say, if God wills, then I'll do this. And so what we do is we read that, and instead of thinking carefully, we just kind of become a person who says, well, I want God's will for my life, but then we pursue really whatever we want. We don't think carefully about it. All of these are errors that we can fall into. The truth is, the Bible is really plain about it. In fact, it's so plain that this is exactly what the Bible says. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Couldn't be any plainer. It says exactly right there. What is the will of God? It's your sanctification. Now, sanctification is this very theological, religious word, but this, this is what it means. It means being shaped into the image of Christ. God's will for your life is that each day that you live, you would look more and more like Jesus. That you would live and act and think and speak more like Jesus. That's what God's will for your life is. That's what his desire is for your life. God is much more concerned with who you are becoming than what you choose to do. Much more concerned with who you are becoming. In 1 Thessalonians 4, that same letter, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, he goes on to say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What's that list? It's a, it's a list of qualities that Jesus embodied. God's will is for you to become a person who rejoices in all circumstances, who's thankful, who's giving, who's generous, who's kind and gracious, just as his son is kind and gracious. So I want to take some of the pressure off you in this room this morning who are feeling like, I just, I don't know God's will for my life and I don't know what I should be doing. I want you to hear the scriptures when they say God's will for you is about becoming like Jesus. His desire for you is to become like Jesus. And here's how that frees us up. It frees us up because now all of a sudden, if you are faced with different decisions, you don't need to worry that you might get it wrong, that you are bound to do one thing. You can say, well, How can I, in either one of these decisions, become more like Jesus? How can I, no matter what my profession is or who I marry or where I end up, how can I be the kind of person who in all circumstances rejoices, gives thanks, prays, and shares the love of Jesus with people? How can you do that? 
See, God's will for our life, if you're a Christian, is to actually be a Christian. That's what Christian means. It means little Christ. I'm not saying that the small decisions we make aren't important to God, but we shouldn't be undone by them. Sometimes we kind of, we, we walk through life focused on the peripheral details when there's a very clear, solid path in front of us to become like Christ, to pursue God, and to, to take on his image, to be an image bearer in everything that that means. And there are details along the side of the road, and when we, when we take our eyes off the main thing, the central thing, and we get consumed with all the, the things on the side, we shipwreck ourselves. We get off course. God wants so much more grace and peace for you than that. He doesn't want you to live a life of constantly wondering, am I getting it right, am I messing it up? He wants to be plain with you, clear with you. You see, what most often we do is we, we make plans and then we ask God to bless our plans. God wants to be the center of our plans. He wants to be right there in the heart of what we are spending our lives on, what we are chasing. So here's my challenge for you. If you're thinking about this and you are desiring God's will for your life, my challenge is this. Spend less time worrying over what you're doing for Christ and consider more carefully how and why you are doing it. How and why are you doing the things that you're doing? A life spent looking at the peripherals is gonna lead you to worry and you're gonna unravel because you worry because you think, well, I know what's good for me. I know what's gonna be good for me and what if God doesn't get it right? What if God doesn't lead me? And the truth is, the moment that you believe that, you've believed a lie about who God is because God is kind and gracious. He has love for you. God knows far more about you than you know about you. He can have the eternal perspective. He sees what comes after man is gone and he understands what is good for you. And because of his great love for you, you can be more certain that God will work out his will for your life than you will work out his will for your life. You can trust him, lean on him, stand on him. So I wanna come to this last question. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? James 4, 16 through 17 says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is, he's always kind of writing in such a cutting way. So it can be hard sometimes to kind of see the grace, but this really is grace what he's saying to us. First thing he's saying is that these, these people in the church that he's writing to, they have got lost in their own schemes and their own planning. And they're boasting in their plans for themselves. Now when you make plans without God, you by default are assuming his position in your life. When you make plans without God, you are sitting on the throne saying, I know what's best, I know what's right. So that's why he calls it boasting. There's an arrogance about that. It's forgetting that we're fleeting, that we are in need of grace. It's really interesting because God made us all, every single one of us, to be image bearers, to be like him, to, to reflect him. But what happens when we make plans apart from him is that we start to reflect him in a distorted way. What we're meant to reflect to the world is his heart and his goodness and his graciousness. And, and what we do is we start trying to reflect his sovereign rule instead and think, well, I, you know, I could be like God. I could drive the ship here. I could plan well for myself apart from him. James says that they were boasting in their own schemes. They had a confidence and a hope in what they desired for themselves instead of God. 1 Corinthians 1 says, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Boast not in your plans and your ideas and your perspective and your understanding. Boast instead in, of the one who has loved you and has given himself for you. Who has, who has built a firm foundation on Christ for you to stand on and to plan on. That's his hope for you. Where is your confidence? Where is your plan? What's your hope for your life? How many of us have made a plan for our life that's been unraveled and then it totally undoes us? We say, God, where were you? Where were you when I lost this, when this unraveled, when things went sideways? God's heart as a father is for you to have something better than your plans. Come to verse 17, and it, it feels a little bit like James has t- changed the corner because he says, if, if there's anyone who knows what they ought to do and does not do it, for them it is sin. Is he changing subjects? I think not, because what he says is, so then. And what James is saying is, you know, you know God's heart for you. You know what he desires for you. You know what his hope is for you. If you know that and you don't pursue that, that's when it becomes sin. It's what the Bible calls a sin of omission. It's when we know something that we should do and we don't do it. We, we have a conviction about something. And what this whole letter James has been saying, you know the gospel, you know God's hope for you and his desire for you is to, to make you more like Jesus, for you to become someone who loves God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and who loves your neighbor as yourself. Everything that he's written is about becoming that faithful person. He said, if you know that, if you know that that's what God desires for you and you don't pursue that, that's sin. Because you are refusing to follow what God has said is best for you, is good for you, is firm and solid and trustworthy for you. If you know God's will for your life and you avoid it and you make plans for something else, you'll shipwreck yourself. It's ultimately, it's an act of forgetting what God has done for you and wants to do in you. If you were here last week, our senior pastor Jeff was here and he mentioned this idea of functional atheism. Well, what he means by that is that there's a lot of people who will say, I believe in Jesus, I trust Jesus, I wanna follow Jesus. And yet the way that they live their life makes it appear as though they don't really believe that. That actually they're living functionally as an atheist, as someone who has no view of God. It's not what God desires for you. He wants your faith to work, to be something that goes deep down in you. There's something greater and more beautiful for you in Christ than in your plans. And that's why James gets so whacked up. That's why he's saying, don't, don't do this. Don't give in to this. Don't submit to this lie that you can plan better for yourself than God can. Don't you think James knew this? Don't you think even as he wrote this, perhaps James reflected on how his brother had told him so many times in his life who he was. And yet James had said, you're a lunatic. You're wrong. And then James saw his brother risen from the dead. He saw Jesus in all of his glory and understood, oh, my brother was right. This really is the one who cares most for me, sees me most deeply and and truly. Don't you in your heart long to be seen by God in that way? To have the confidence in your heart to know that you are seen by God, that he cares for you. We're told that Jesus says in the gospels over and over again, he says, look at the lilies of the field. And how beautiful they are and how spectacular they are. And, and if God does that, don't you think he cares more about you than those flowers? He says, look at the beds of the air. They don't, they don't gather or reap into barns. They don't make tons of plans for their lives. And yet God cares for them. He provides for them. And Jesus, again, is he's using a picture to say, understand 
The Father loves you. He cares for you. And his plan for you is better than your plan for yourself. I'm going to close by thinking about another plan that we read about in the Bible. In fact, in the very first pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve, two characters we're probably all familiar with. And Adam and Eve made a plan for themselves too, didn't they? Came to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A serpent told them, you know what? God is holding out on you. Actually, he's not good at planning for you guys. It would be better if you took control. And Adam and Eve, they bought that. So they made a plan for themselves. Let's decide for ourselves what's good and right. And the tragedy is, is that unraveled everything. Every heartache that you have ever felt has stemmed from that lie that was believed in that garden. Everything that's wrong in our world, everything that's broken and painful has come because humanity has decided, let's plan for ourselves. And yet on this same page of scripture that we read about the failure of man's plan for himself, read about the hope of God's plan. And God's plan actually preceded that one. This is God's plan. It's written down for us in Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Listen to the beauty of God's plan. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. We've all made plans just like Adam and Eve that have ended up in the wrong place. But God has a plan too. God has a plan that he invites you to know, to experience, to stand on. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus came as a plan for us. You know what Jesus said on the cross when he was dying, being crucified? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might translate that actually, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? There's a moment in which Christ reveals to us that he feels forgotten by the Father. Why would he say that? Well, because the truth is that each one of us, every one of us, have in making our plans apart from God, forgotten the God who loves us. Forgotten the one who cares for us. We have forgotten him. And yet, because Christ was forgotten on the cross, you and I don't have to be forgotten by God. Even though we have forgotten him, he has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. Because of the forgottenness that Christ experienced on the cross, we know that God has remembered us. And for some of you today, the only plan that God wants you to focus on in your life is that one. To know that you are seen, that you are loved, that he desires for you to come to him and to know his grace, to know his mercy. To come to Christ and to give him your life. Ask for his forgiveness. To draw near to him, as James says just a few verses before, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. You can make that decision today. Every single one of us is invited each day to renew this desire to chase, 
to hope and to see the God who has loved us. All of us need to gain the perspective that that grace affords us, that we are frail and we are in need of a greater planner than us who invites us to live out a far greater vision of life than we could craft for ourselves. That's God's hope for you. That's God's plan for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great plan for us, your great love for us. Come to you with my plans and ask you to bless them without considering your great heart for me. And Lord, we want to stand on your plan. We want to stand on the truth of who your son is. We want to become a people that become like him in every way. So help us, God, we pray. Give us your grace and renew us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I long for that. I want to run into his glorious day to know his great love for me. I'm figuring that out. We're all figuring that out. And this is a great place to be. So if there's any way we can pray for you, encourage you, uh, I challenge you, don't, don't let church be simply an hour on Sunday morning where you come and listen to a story. Let this be a family where you can connect, where you can find hope and encouragement and support as you pursue the great hope that God has for you. Is there any way we can pray for you? I would love to, to chat with you. Please come stop me. Uh, just some details on our lunch. We are gonna have lunch very shortly here after service. All I would ask is uh, if, if you could let parents go and pick up their kids first and just kind of hang around here just for five minutes or so uh, and then we'll open up the lines for you to be able to go in. Uh, but now let me leave you with today's benediction. May we go in the name of the God who has planned for us a great and glorious hope, who has sent his son in the fullness of time to be for us what we could never be for ourselves. May we live in him, hope in him, and chase after him. It's in Jesus' name that we go. Amen.